yeah, we're picking up the Radical Roots series tonight. Uh, and it kind of starts for us with a question. Who do you let challenge you? Who do you let kind of get behind the closed doors and ask you questions and help shape what you do with your life? And that's what the question that's been nagging at our community that sort of launched us into the Radical Roots. We were saying, who, do, who are we letting speak into us as a community about what it means to follow Jesus? And uh, Chris uh, Marshall inspired us with um, some thinking from the Anabaptist, so did Passion Fest, right? So we've been opening our lives to the Anabaptist tradition to, to ask how we might live differently today in light of them and their tradition. Um, yeah, and so we've been doing a little bit on, on what faith means in the Anabaptists, looking at how they've been following Jesus, what that looked like for them. And now we're stepping in to community. What does it look like for them to be, for community to be the center of their life? I have struggled to connect with the Anabaptist a little bit just because I feel like it gets obscure and conceptual. And someone and I took a church history paper and I was like, sweet, I'll dig in to prepare for my talk by going back through some of our readings. I have a couple books that I was like, oh, they're summaries of the history of Christianity, right? So I'm like, bust out the Kindle because it's easy. You can just search Anabaptist, right? <laughs> One book, footnotes. That's where they are. Another book, not even in there. And this is something, we are looking at a marginal community in the history of Christianity, so historians would have us think. So I'm struggling, like, how am I going to connect with this group? And I, I'm pretty thick, right? I'm not like a history, like, I don't, like, sit on the night side and read history books for fun. So, like, how's a thick person like me going to get into it? They made a movie, all right? This is, this is my language. They made a movie, right? And it's called The Radicals, and it is like C-grade quality at best, right? I mean, Christianity is not known for making great films. I mean, every time we put something out there, the world looks at this and says, what happened to these people? But I wanted to say that on a Friday night, it was cold. Lacey left me and was in Christchurch. Sam and Talia and I cuddled up, and we watched The Radicals, which is free on YouTube. So anyone can watch it. Although our internet has been choppy, so the audio got out of sync with the video. And it was like watching an awesome dubbed movie, except there was no martial arts, which usually accompanies such, <laughs> such films. And it tells the story, though, of, of Michael and I think it's Margareta Sattler. I, I, I don't know if I say in the name right. Which were two early Anabaptist uh, leaders. And they, it takes you through uh, their journey which starts with Michael Sattler, and he's a Benedictine monk living in Germany, and he's working and serving the community, uh, becomes disillusioned with Catholicism through exposure to how the people were being treated, heavily taxed, some being executed. He goes through a sort of what does it mean to be church kind of challenge of, of faith. Uh, he leaves being a monk, shacks up with a lady, as you do when you leave the monastery. Um, <laughs> They were legitimately married. I'm sorry. He made that quite clear. Um, there were some answered questions like, who married them? We will never know. Um, yeah, and, and, he, and he goes on from this journey of, uh, of sort of disillusionment to being someone, spoiler alert, who's willing to die for their faith. Now, as an outsider, I've been struggling. Like, why are people dying because they don't believe in infant baptism, right? Like, it just is boggling my mind. And so, like, but this film helped shape a lot of that for me, even though it was pretty B-grade, or even D-grade. Uh, and 
even further than that, what kind of community can sustain and encourage and inspire people to follow Jesus in such a way that they're willing to pretty much give up anything that society has to offer and, and, and say is valuable to kind of follow a life in the woods with these crazies and talk about Jesus and practice the Jesus way, give up possessions and give up kind of creature comforts and radically speak into culture and to be change makers. So I want to wrestle with that tonight. There's three aspects that kind of Chris presented to us uh, that stood out about how the Anabaptists um, treat community. And I'm, I'm feeling a little insecure, and so I need some props. All right? So I've got to put a, t- a backflip. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't, it's yoga. I'm always planking. Um, So I have, I, have, I have three elements for us to, to speak through. This plan is real, Andy, just so you know. He begs the Plato. All right. So the three kind of key ingredients for uh, a radical community that stood out to me from the Anabaptists and that Chris also nudge-nudge gave me beforehand because um, I'm pretty, pretty thick. The first aspect I'm going to call intention, a clear intention. And why I have put water here shouldn't be all that, I don't know, surprising. Because for the Anabaptists, in their time and day, church and state were one. And so church was kind of like government officials. It was pretty much like you worked for the government. You would go around and do things to help out the civic kind of order. Now, one of the ways that people controlled their society, their little groups, was because they controlled salvation. And the Anabaptists were very frustrated by the fact that the church had started to mix with power. And what they did is salvation was controlled by the church through baptism. And so infants were being baptized as a way of like high infant mortality. Parents, like the film was pretty good at having a distraught mother trying to prepare her baby for baptism and Anabaptist protesting. It's a pretty kind of emotional, degrade moment. But um, it, the power in it was that the, the authorities had this thing controlled, locked down. You had to come through them and, and all, the, all the rules that came with it, all the taxes, all the service, everything that they needed to get you to do what they wanted was controlled through baptism. And so the Anabaptists looked at this and just saw coercion. Michael Sattler, uh, he, when he left the monastery, he had to pick up a trade. And so he started to pick up weaving. Is weaving the right name for it? I don't know what you call it. When you weave threads together to make cloth, right? Seems pretty Amish to me, so I was like, that seems believable. Um, and as he's doing this, he sucks at it. And so he's trying and trying, and he sucks at it. And he has this epiphany, and he, one of his epiphany moments is that he finds that one thread woven in the fabric that's flawed or broken uh, corrupts the whole fabric. It just makes the whole fabric, right, it's, it'll, it'll unravel. The fabric becomes useless. And he looks at the church's co-option co- co- to a, a co- coercive power. And he says, this is it. This is corrupting it. It's, it's, it's actually breaking it down. And so what they start to do is say that salvation's a free gift. It's, it's clean it's, it's, it's for anyone who wants it, but it's not coerced. 
It can't be manipulated. It can't be something that you have to do. Because that's just not true to what Jesus was offering. He was offering a free gift. And so the Baptists did something which I think is pretty kind of guerrilla theater. They took that symbol of control from the authorities and said, no, no, this is free. You come here, you take this freely. You state your clear intention to follow Jesus and his way. And anyone can receive it. Now, you don't have to go through the authorities. This is a free thing. And so the first like, radical aspect of the Anabaptists was the clarity of their intentions. People weren't following in the Anabaptist community for the perks, right? It wasn't like a sort of like, join us because our bread is amazing. I mean, later on, that's a good selling point, I'm sure. But at the start, it was mainly around like, come with us because we're following Jesus and this is the way to life. Like, it was, it was the kind of clear, we're not going to coerce you into it. It's invitation only. This is, uh, we're willing for, for anyone to join us who has this intention. And I think the intention is generally broken into follow Jesus and put his way into practice. And they would publicly make that clear to each other by adult baptism. So, so one of their rules is you had to be of the clear age to, like, make decisions. Like, you know, in our culture, it would be like, if you can't drink and go to war, well, you just can't be baptized kind of thinking, right? It was like you had to be of, of age, of maturity. And I just love how, how this really frustrated the authorities. You took their gate and you pulled it off its hinges and said, no, no, you aren't the controllers of salvation. This is a free gift. Anyone can choose it. And I think clarity of intention is a key ingredient for community. And I'm challenged already. And so my job tonight really is just to pass on challenge. I don't have answers. I'm just going to pass on how I've been challenged. I think the first one is like, uh, how clear is our intention about following Jesus? How clear, how clear are we that this is what we want, that this is what we're choosing to do, to follow Jesus in life? And there's just one more radical thing about this water is that the Anabaptists believed that by going through uh, this statement of faith, receiving baptism, uh, by choosing to follow Jesus, that the Spirit of God would radically enable you to live a transformed life. I think we've talked about this heaps, right? Uh, Romans 12, this like renewal of your mind. The Anabaptists had the audacity, I just think this is crazy, because I think psychology is all, all up in this right now. They had this belief that God enables us to change. So it was like, listen, the Jesus way isn't so far out of reach. The, to them, it wasn't like saying, come and do the impossible. It was God-enabled. That by, by making this statement of faith, by following Jesus, by stepping out in little ways, God is going to enable us to grow. And so I'm challenged already. Like, do I actually believe God's Spirit can, can enable me to change? Because trust me, I see myself do the same stuff over and over and over again. But, but the Anabaptist challenged right away is this free, open, clear intention to follow Jesus is supported and enabled by the Spirit of God to, to enable us to grow. And so Michael Sattler in the film and, and, and Margareta get baptized in a, in a pretty interesting moment, and it's punishable by death. Right? Uh, you can, they, had a, they loved to drown Anabaptists for the irony. Right? Because they were baptized again. So, so they, baptism was a radical challenge authority to, you know, subvert the world, to take something that was controlled and locked down and to say, no, this is a free gift. Anyone can choose it. The next thing Anabaptists said was that no longer conform to the patterns of the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. 
So in sustaining a radical community, what they said is that you need to be shaped by a vision of the kingdom of God. No longer shaped by the vision of the world. Right. This is my formational Plato. It's non it's nonconforming Plato. But the question for me is is what what is what is shaping us? And going back to the thread, right? Like the Anabaptists saw the power and the way of the world as what was corrupting. They were obsessed with the early church. And some would say negative some critics would say too much so that they were obsessed with the pure church. Most reformers were. That they looked at the state of the church and they said, Well, this doesn't look like Jesus. Right? I think we all do this in our protesting. Like, we look at church and we're like, what is this? What are we doing? This doesn't look like changed lives. This just looks like, I don't know, a, a version of the world where people don't swear, but they look exactly the same other than that. Um, and, and I think the Anabaptists were challenging in, in the way that they isolated, mainly because they got kicked out of everywhere. They weren't really allowed. And they would meet, meet in little caves and around the world. I mean... The, the footage we saw, right, was he was, they were studying the sermon, I think, in a cave and, and sharing it to one another. And as you read about them, not a lot to know, like in their gatherings, a pretty free-flowing discussion about the scripture. But what we do know is that they were building this alternative vision. They were letting a vision shape them. So this movement from intention then comes to vision. And the vision is no longer of Christendom, like of, hey, one day we'll conquer. The vision was of a church that would look and be like Jesus. They were prepared to suffer because that was in their narrative. They said, look how Jesus lived. Look what happened to the early church. We're called to kind of challenge the authority of who's actually in charge of this place. And by doing so, we know we're going to get in trouble. They were following the radical troublemaker Jesus, and they said, we're going to get in trouble. They had a view of a suffering church because of that. And that vision shaped them. They let the Beatitudes shape what was possible. They let the Sermon of the Mount shape what they thought was practical in terms of living. And that led them to then have this vision for the kingdom lived out. And so, to me, like, be... I don't know. I struggle with this one, if I'm honest with you. Nonconformity. Like, I, I just think of burning CDs. I don't know. This is what we did in youth group, right? It's like... <laughs> You can't conform to the world, so let's like cut off all cultural ties because art apparently is, is where it all filters in and, and takes over. I think there's a lot of thinking for us to do here about this because I think there's a lot of easy ways to oversimplify and isolate. But what challenges me most about the Anabaptists is the sober realization that, hey, there's things pulling on us, whether we like it or not. And especially when you're going to live in a minority that challenges the power, you better fuel the vision of the kingdom. Because that other vision is pretty strong. Everybody else is living that out. That's contagious. right? How are we going to allow ourselves to be captured, inspired, to, to have it just churning in our mind, the greatness of the kingdom? I'm challenged by that. That's my second challenge. Because you, know, you look at this radical group. They so believe that it was good, that this is worth it that that other vision some seemed less. And so that second movement from intention to vision, a vision that would shape how they, they lived. And so, yeah, we talked about the, the settlers going in the cave, sharing this, this communal, communal invo involvement, and this kind of was the Anabaptists all over. They were scattered, they were gathering, uh, having that vision of the kingdom kind of turn over in their minds this expectation of their rule came out of that which enabled them to live. But most provocative to me is the third, third movement. And the third movement is, is mutual accountability. 
So that's this plant here. Pashy. The passion fruit plant. Um, in the film, uh, early on, there's a, there's a scene of Michael Sadler uh, taking confession from one of the peasants. And the, the, the peasant kind of, you know, pretty standard. Like, what does they say? Something like, I have the hots for some girl in the kitchen, and I've been thinking about her too much. And then he gives her, like, four Our Fathers and a couple Hail Marys. Right? This is pretty standard Catholic. I don't know if you guys have ever experienced a Catholic confession. It's awesome. So much fun, especially because they have this little door, and there's like this mesh there that you like makes it think that you can't see. I've sat on the other side; you totally can see through it. It's like, what's the point? Um, Catholic confession is a big part of my upbringing, but in the film, what, what what it highlights is the hierarchy in confession, right? That you are confessing to someone who's spiritually authoritative over you, and that's the dynamic. There is a power dynamic here. Like, come on, sit down. Tell me, tell me what you've done wrong so I can correct you. And there's this sort of in, unintentional guilt aspect from that dynamic, a, a controlling that can happen from that power play. Uh, you need your sins forgiven. You have to come to me. There's all that that comes with it. So the Anabaptists, aware of the nature of power, the corrupting nature of power, have already challenged it here with baptism, now continue to challenge it to remove this hierarchical structure. And someone else will talk about this, but they're flat. They're a flat community when it comes to how they're, they're structured. And what they say is that all disciples are on equal footing. And so we are mutually accountable. We confess to one another. We encourage one another in faith. Now, this is a challenging one, because accountability is another dirty word in Christ Christianity, right? I mean... We got a few dirty words, but accountability often is one where we have these amazing experiences of like, especially guys sitting around telling each other uh, the stuff they've done wrong, and then like asking for help, and then they don't come anymore because of the fact that they were embarrassed, and they don't really want to have to sit in their embarrassment for too long. And I think that that's sort of pretty standard. People tried accountability and it failed, and then we stopped, and we're like, ah, oh, that was funny, something we did when we were younger. But the Anabaptists really kind of reshaped this for me. And I just want to choke up some quotes because I'm probably not the best at remembering this stuff. Sorry for the slides. Without any internet, I couldn't change the background. Um, this is a first quote from a historian who was studying the kind of connection between the Anabaptist and uh, the early church. The uniqueness of both the early church and the early Anabaptists was that they met in small groups where they confronted each other and made each, made each other strong enough to confront the world. They confronted each other and made each other strong enough to confront the world. Now, the Anabaptists, when it came to mutual accountability, there's two couple things, just random asides, that I think are fun for just learning. <laughs> they really loved a passage in Matthew 18. And I didn't know this passage was in the Bible, but it's, <laughs> it's Jesus instructing the church around uh, what to do with, uh, when someone's essentially erred. Like, when someone's just hurt you or offended you, Jesus gives these instructions about uh, how to handle it. And one of the things that Jesus talks about is going after your brother and, and doing so. Now, uh, doing so with the hope of, of demonstrating forgiveness. And I think what's really powerful to me here is that sort of the point of accountability is to support each other. To actually help each other grow. And then Anabaptists are obsessed with another passage, the early Anabaptists, the 1 Corinthians 14, which I don't know, I haven't read it for a while, 
But it's all about, uh, if you read it, you'll, you'll remember. But it's all like about when you should speak in tongues. And these kind of passages, like, because I'm just totally not come from a Penty background, I read it, and I'm like, oh, man, I even struggle to read this part of Scripture. And I'm, like, forcing myself to through it. Because Paul just goes through, and he's like, yeah, that's great. That's your gift. But if no one can understand it, what's the point? Then keep it to yourself and do it at home. Essentially, that's me paraphrasing Paul. And what Paul's saying is better for someone to interpret because all of your gifts, everyone has unique gifts in 1 Corinthians 14, and he's saying all of those are for building up the community. They're all for supporting the growth of the community. And I think this is an essential ingredient of the movement. You go from clarity of intention to vision to then getting feedback and support from each other. That the point of this was to make each other stronger. It's the building up. And the Anabaptist, uh, like, I know that this goes horrible, right? It always does. This is a very difficult thing. The Anabaptists have had trouble with this as well. But if we go to the next slide, Andy, this is, I think... uh, a modern Anabaptist theologian wrestling with this says, accountability has to do with, with being lovingly encouraged to cultivate one's best self more by seeing others do this than by having people overtly demand this. That is, accountability has to do with working with others to grow and mature as human beings living before God. Cultivating one's best self. See, I think the Anabaptists would meet in these small groups and they would offer, you know, speak into each other's lives. Because I think that the vine is a great example. That we're always growing. We're always grabbing on to ideas and things. But these things need tended. Otherwise they end up fickle, strangling themselves, growing into all sorts of directions. We need each other to grow towards the vision. Now there's all sorts of ways that we can kind of slip into coercion. Which the Anabaptists call out as being an evil. And so the the question is, how do we do this in a way that supports growth? And I think that there's something here, like uh, some real gold here. Because when when in your life have you actually been devoted to to, to picking up a skill or trying something new? If you reflect, like if you pick something, I think there's a sort of natural progression that happens for most of us whenever we're trying to to develop anything. Like for, for example, like, for me, I was, when I was watching the Anabaptists, I was like, man, what if I cared so much about anything like these guys? And I was like, most of mine are ego-central. Um, and so for me, when I was reflecting, I was like, oh, I actually became kind of switched on to wanting to be a good communicator a few years back. And what happened in Mosaic, we didn't used to have storytelling spots, and then we started to get them. And I had a couple of moments where I was like, man, I really loved all of that. The prep, the giving, the post-vulnerability overhang, it just all felt good, um, or fitting at least. And I, and I loved it. And I, I, I remember for me, instead of like screaming it, I wrote like, I want to be a good communicator on a post-it by the time I'm 40 and put it on the wall. Like that was me like owning it. That was my statement of intention, right? I didn't really tell too many people because I was terrified of someone finding out and then me sucking, right? And then what do you do? Like once you know that you want to grow in something, you generally start fueling yourself with like examples of good people, right? Like good examples, I mean. So I started watching TED Talks, lots of them. I found that not all TED Talks are great communicators. They have really good ideas, but they're not always great communicators. But I started studying them. And then I started studying like some of the pastors I was obsessed with, listening to their podcasts, watching their videos. We just rewatched one of them the other day that I had bought from a few years ago. So I fueled myself with the vision. I think this is pretty normal. And you, you get good examples of what it looks like to, to be performing, what it looks like to actually have the skill. And then you practice the hell out of it, right? Like you, you just do it. 
And one of the things that I found is that you need feedback, right? So, like, for me, I, used to, I still do this. I record myself talking so that I have to suffer before you do. Because I'm like, if I'm going to make them suffer, I better suffer too. And that was one of my ways of getting feedback. But then I also asked other people, like, after I speak, just tell me, tell me how I went. I recorded myself once, and I had to see the pain of how much I move. I haven't fixed that one at all. I still do it. But I think this is a natural progression, like going from a clear statement of intention. I want this. I want to go this. I want to go to there. That's where I'm going. And it moves to a vision. Then like, well, what does that look like? Where am I heading? What, what is the, what was possible there? What is, you know, how does that look and feel and play out? To then inviting others in to support and grow. I don't think this is all that complicated or new, but I think there's a beautiful thing happening here. Because I think when I look at these all together, I see the encouragement, which I think is at the heart of Mosaic's kind of ethos, which is that when we follow Jesus, the most important thing is not like the state we're in, like that we've arrived somewhere, but that we're moving towards Jesus. doesn't matter how fast, doesn't matter how big your steps are, but what we're trying to do is actually acknowledge that why we come together is so we can encourage the movement. Because that's how we grow and live and thrive. And we, we, the only reason we do this is because we believe this is the way to be human, right? Like we're convinced of it. Otherwise, we wouldn't be here. And, and I, so I guess to me, like, this is the challenge I've been challenged by with the Anabaptist. Is I know that there's all sorts of ways to, to go wrong. But I, I, I want to leave you with, with a quote from the naked Anabaptist writer. I think he kind of sums it up for me quite well. He says, churches committed to following Jesus welcome fellow travelers unreservedly and unconditionally. But their ethos is one of following, learning, changing, growing, moving forward. So when I return to this question of like, how, do you, how do we become a radical community? Like, how do you sustain that sort of um, that radical commitment to Jesus and following Jesus? I think being a community that's committed to learning, changing, and growing, and moving forward, it requires this, right? It, these, these key ingredients. It requires that we know, that we've stated to each other, this is what I want. This is why we commit in Mosaic, right? Every year we recommit. We're in this. We want this. It requires us as a community to build that vision up. Like, how are we fueling our lives with it? And then I think I'm challenged. It requires openness to one another. How are we using our gifts to build one another up? Are we letting each other speak into our lives to challenge each other? How can we do that in a way that's grace-filled and not just kind of coercive power? One of the things I love, and I know I'm just chucking ideas at you now, um, one of the reasons people, uh, the Anabaptists said that we should have small groups where we actually confess to one another is so that the person can experience the grace and forgiveness of God. That without experiencing the love and forgiveness from people, it's hard to imagine a God who does that. And I think that movement is what kind of keeps us going, keeps us learning, keeps us changing. That if we share life and we allow people to speak into us, then that's what's happened. So I don't know where this lands for you. I mean, you may be questioning your intention. Like, do you want this? And I guess for me, like, it's, it's a good time to reflect. Is like, why did I start this journey in the first place? What inspired me? Did I choose this freely? Am I choosing it freely now? Or am I choosing it because I have to? And I think that's the sort of questions that we're, we're presented when we think about baptism, that free gift. 
And then the second is, how, how am I inspired by the kingdom of God? What inspires me? Who's inspired me? How am I fueling that inspiration? Is it something that when someone asks me, like, what draws you to Jesus? Is there a quick answer? I mean, I think that's the, the challenge there. And the third is, like, am I opening and inviting others to, to speak into my life? Am I risking with them? Am I, am I sharing things with them that uh, I would normally hold back, but I'm trusting that there's an ch- opportunity to grow and change and learn? So I don't, I don't really know where you are, where you land, but I, but I hope tonight you're, you're encouraged by the fact that I think we're all here together because we care about following Jesus and we care about each other. I think everyone here wants to help each other grow. And I think that's what it takes to kind of move towards being a radical community of Jesus people, right? I don't think it's complicated. I just think it takes sort of that clarity. So tonight, I'm done ranting, sorry. Uh, because of the fact that I'm, obsessed, I'm kind of obsessed with this right now. Because accountability, I think, is a key ingredient. I've experienced this in work in that I, if I could change accountability to feedback, <laughs> which is a kind of a, a PC word, then, then I would say feedback is so critical for us to grow. And I think it's needed. I think our community will not grow in, in, in aliveness, thriving, if we're not speaking into each other's life in a way that uh, is providing some, some reference to each other. So what I want to do is spend some time talking about this. You can talk about anything, really. But let's talk about the passion fruit a bit. And, if, and, and my hope is that, really, we can, we, can, we can process a little bit about accountability. So what we're going to do is just let you get into groups and, and speak for 10 minutes on what attitudes and behaviors and practices ruin accountability. How's it gone wrong? Because I think that's a pretty easy. I think most people have seen it go wrong. And if not, you can come up with the answers pretty quickly. And then we'll share them back. And then we'll do some time where it's like, what might accountability look like within Mosaic? What might an inspiring way to be accountable look like? This is what I'm curious about. I'm curious to hear how you guys see that, that playing out. Cool? So go chew on this, get some coffee, rant at each other.